So guys, today what we are going to be covering off on um, at the very end is going to be some of those questions. As we have more questions, make sure to write those into the chat. So if you have more questions as we're going through today, just but dump them into the chat. Don't worry about if it's like perfectly spelled or anything. We just want the chat to be like our database of questions of who has what questions. What's where's the curiosity at? Today we're going to be talking about land trust tax implications. Pete was meant to present on it uh, this today, um, but I will be taking over it today. I'm going to do as good a job as I can. Anything else that I don't know, um, we will leave for Pete um, for everybody to contact Pete about whatever those uh, remaining questions would be. But again, let's dump them into the chat and that will we have all of our questions saved there. So again, um, so this is Pete. He's our, C our resident CPA, MBA, and fractional CFO. So if you're a business entrepreneur or you're somebody who is getting into that level of investment where you're like, wow, my financial intelligence around, you know, my cash flows, my debt servicing, et cetera, is starting to become a place where I'd really like some help to be able to dial in, to put in best practices there. Um, Pete is a guy that's going to be able to help you streamline how your financials run with your business to have better intelligence, um, business counsel for how to grow that business with his MBA background and also how to save the most money on taxes uh, with his uh, CPA uh, background um, as well. So when we're looking at land trust, guys, what we're really focused on here is this, uh, this piece uh, that we would typically refer to as our Freedom Temple, right? So the way the Freedom Temple works is that it works first that you just read it from top to bottom of what's the most important things to focus on. Your first two are all about making money and saving money because the name of the game is not what you um, what you make. It's also what you keep. And so the first thing that takes money from you is your taxes. So first you have to be able to create the money and that's your wealth creation. Second thing you have to do is protect it from taxes. Now to be able to keep your, to also to keep your money, what you need is asset protection and the asset protection makes it so that way people can't take your money from lawsuits. So the way that we do that is we create anonymity around the ownership of the assets. And then what we do is we compartmentalize and separate out the liability from all of the assets. We isolate every single asset. So if there's a lawsuit against one asset, they can't go after the other assets. And then lastly, we use insurance to protect us against most things most of the time. Insurance is our best first line of defense, but we don't depend on profit-seeking corporations to protect us when we can protect ourselves using uh, LLC structures and other structures to take us from that 90% protected to 100% protected. After that, what we're looking for is making sure that we're streamlining all of our systems and processes so that way we can better leverage our time um, because the more time that we're able to save, the more wealth we're able to create. Wealth, not just in terms of money, but also time with your family, time with your kids, the vacations and hobbies that you might wanna be doing. Lastly, we look at legacy planning, which is I've done all of this great work to be able to create this amazing life for myself. I, I care about what happens to all of my stuff and who is where it's going to go to take care of the people that I love in my life after I'm gone. And that's what the legacy planning is all about. It's all about being able to say, I can then control who is going to get what money and when, and what's going to be in best and highest service uh, to my children and my family um, after I go. And that's where the estate planning and legacy planning comes into place. For today, what we're going to be focused on is going to be this piece regarding the anonymity of, of the uh, asset uh, protection there. And then we're going to be doing that with the, uh, with the land trust, of course. All right. Cool. See if I can clear this annotation here real quick. 
Okay, so what is a land trust? And a land trust is a kind uh, of revocable trust. So there's two types of trust. If you've watched our trust masterclass, you know there's actually multiple different kinds of trust. There's revocable, irrevocable, and statutory trust. Um, we have our masterclass on that. If you've missed it, um, ping inside of the chat. We can go ahead and get you uh, a link uh, to that masterclass, or if you reach out to us, we can get you that. But a land trust is a type of revocable trust. We use it to hold real estate and real estate related assets. It can actually hold any type of property, right? So it's not just about land, right? It can hold any type of property, including personal property. So it could hold your boat, it could hold your cars, could hold, um, could hold anything in that vein. So what kind of taxes do you get if you're using land trust? Um, land trusts, first of all, are primarily used for pr uh, privacy. Um, and asset protection. Um, they These types of revocable trusts are also used for probate avoidance when they're used as like a living trust as part of your estate plan. Um, for the purposes that we use it for, we're looking for uh, privacy inside of our asset protection plan. So the land trusts obscure who owns the piece of property. So if anybody ever comes to look to sue you, they can't find out anything that you own. When it looks like you don't own anything when they come and look to try to sue you, you're not the person that they're gonna sue, right? They need to be able to know upfront that they're gonna get paid if they're successful with the lawsuit. And if it looks like you're not gonna be able to pay them when if they win, then they go to sue somebody else. Um, so the question is, is, does, is there any tax implications to the land trust? And it says it can depend. It depends on whether you structure the land trust as a revocable trust or an irrevocable trust. And I said before, we're always using land trust inside of Royal Legal Solutions as a revocable trust. And specifically why we're doing that is because we're not using them for any other purpose besides the anonymity. So <clears throat> the great things that we use for revocable trust um, is that they can be amended at any time by the grantor. So there's no restrictions on when you can amend it. Um, they're treated as disregarded entities for tax purposes. So for IRS, it's as if they don't exist, right? So there's no additional um, complications deciding the taxes. There's not even the necessity to get an EIN number um, for a revocable trust. It's not required to file any returns. Um, and when you remove assets into any disregarded entity, especially a, a revocable land trust, there's no tax consequences. There's no triggering event that says, hey, we're going to have any type of income associated with the movement um, of, of this asset from myself into the revocable land trust or from my LLC into the land trust. So if it's for if you needed to file a tax return for a land trust, you said, hey, well, I'm going to be, I'm in, I want to use an irrevocable trust, right? I might be located in California. And what I can afford to put in for asset protection is one irrevocable trust. Um, that's the only times that we've actually used irrevocable trusts uh, for these and the types of asset protection vehicles. So if you are using it as just the revocable trust that we use just for anonymity purposes, which is our bread and butter of what we do inside of Royal Legal Solutions, then there's no tax filing, there's no tax consequences. If you're the kind of person that says, or your situation where it makes sense to say, hey, actually I'm gonna use this land trust, but I'm using it as an irrevocable trust. Now you have to start thinking of it um, as a business entity, right? So what does that mean? It needs to get an EIN number. It needs to have a bank account. It needs to have a set of books. It needs to file a yearly tax, uh, tax return. It needs to file a K-1 to say that it distributed money to you as a beneficiary um, of the trust. 
Um, so there's these other pieces here that you can see that we have listed up on the slide that says, hey, here's all the things you're going to need to do if you're using the trust as an irrevocable trust. The only reason you would ever use the trust as an irrevocable trust is because you're trying to get asset protection and anonymity inside of a single trust structure. Of course, you can see here the downside of combining both of those inside of one entity, the asset protection and the anonymity, is that you end up having to do a lot more operationally, right? You're talking about extra bank accounts, tax returns, K-1s, et cetera, when that's why we typically choose to use the revocable trust because we want things to stay more streamlined, right? We understand that there's a lot of operational load if you start using irrevocable trust. But if you only had one asset and you're located inside of California and it's just like your primary residence or something like that, it could make a lot of sense to use an irrevocable trust.